never share. I don't know how to. Oh, well, we're live and now, now, everybody. We're live. Yep. Oh, Ooh, a vet. God. We, we invite Sean back on the show for the first time in a year, and he's still using the same background. I mean, yes, it's helping, you know, Derek, you know, him having a vet in the background. <laughs> but, oh, wow. See, all of a sudden, we, we've been sitting here. We were late because Sean, uh, whatever, technical the camera. Now he's in the center. He's got this green screen centered. He's now in photo. Fo- Look at that. Oh, I don't right. know. He's kind of in focus when it goes dark, but kind of, kind of. So, so obviously, Will's not here tonight. Obviously, um, the, uh, the guy on the lower screen has a you know beard, but has a little too much hair on top of his head. So. I mean, I could go fix that if you'd like. So, I can take care of the hair. And he deals with some like sort of reality it. company with you know ERA. That's exactly what we are. We're simulated realty company. That's that's what we do. Oh, so you sell property in the Sims? I sell uh, I, I sell meta property. Ooh, I have a really nice house right beside Snoop Dogg that I'd like to show you. Is it is it an F- NFT? Everything's an NFT. Yeah, what's well, not an NFT? I don't know. It's our next Bitcoin, car purchase is going to be Bitcoin NFT. I don't, I don't even know. I don't get that. It's a non-fungible token. Yes. Okay. If you say so. Well, Toby, you don't need to type. You can, you can still watch us while you drive. Just remember the screen shouldn't be facing the driver, but nay, you know, you do what you got to do. We can pretend Musk built your car, which by the way, I finally, your life is in your hands. I, I finally, after six months of hearing and hearing and hearing about it, Googled Lucid yesterday. That's a freaking badass car. <laughs> yeah, I was Lucid is actually just next or, or right next door to Logitech in San Francisco. So while I was out there just now, not a couple weeks ago, um got to we actually we ate lunch in Lucid's cafeteria a couple days. Nice. Everybody at Logitech going to be driving uh, Lucids now? I don't know, man. I mean, they're they're not. They're they're definitely expensive vehicles, but they they start at eighty seven. So I mean, it's a fully loaded Model Three, or it's a uh, base Model S. Half a house. Um, Everything's half a house. Have you bought a car lately? I haven't bought one lately, which is really weird. Um, We haven't bought. Well, we bought the van year and a half ago oh man sean i thought of you the other day and i I meant to send it to you i saw on market no no no, on marketplace was a uh um the um like late 80s early 90s now i don't remember what year but the 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 turbo caravan um, caravan yeah with a manual or an automatic i don't care (laughs) i believe i believe it was a a manual either way well, to be honest, it's still a Chrysler transmission. Chrysler never exactly had the. Oh, it's. Of, I mean, here's the thing. It's not exactly the transmission out of a Viper. You can <laughs> turn. A, what do you mean? It's still a Chrysler. <laughs> you can turn the <laughs> boost up in that thing and run 11 second quarter miles, but it really doesn't matter which transmission it is. It's going to hand grenade. It's going to explode multiple times, but as it explodes, you're going to be really. It's, 
an 11 second minivan from the 80s has got it's exactly. got to be wonderful so it is that an automotive milestone is that something you no. know <laughs> it, that would be, uh, that, that's, that's mini- an automotive gravestone <laughs> an 11 second minivan in the 80s i mean if they would have marketed it and called it a cyclone or a typhoon it would have been a big deal from the factory, it was like a 16-second minivan or 17. Like it, it was a slug off well, the showroom sp- floor. But I mean, you can tune it; you can get crazy with it. That, what do I want to say? That was so it had the five-year, fifty-thousand-mile warranty. Speaking, can we talk about warranties? Can we tangent off on warranties? Or, or is, I, I, it's been a while. I don't want to just come in and tangent. I, I don't. I mean. Why not? I mean, is 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 uh, the history of the automotive warranty a milestone? I mean, in I, some ways, it kind of is that you'd actually have a warranty on something, right? The the warranty I'm going to talk about has to be a milestone I, because I I didn't know this existed. I don't know of another warranty in the automotive industry that's anywhere close to this. And over the last couple of weeks. I have started looking at potential replacements for the Alpha because the Alpha is getting up there in mileage. And the last thing I want is the the Chevette is, Mm -hmm. if I could get the LS swapped Chevette or the 427 Chevette that was on Bring a Trailer a while ago, I'd take that. Um, But I I stopped in and I looked at some Genesis, the the G70 uh, Genesis, 20-year, 200,000-mile powertrain. That's a milestone. That's humongous. That's that's mm-hmm. that's not from the factory, though, is it? I thought it the way that they made it sound. It was. It could be a dealer thing. I don't know. No, I mean, no. I, but Hyundai's ten year hundred thousand mile from the factory. Uh, so as a dealer thing, not all of them do it, and you've got to jump through all the dealer hoops. And um, I did that with my last Hyundai until about the third time I went to the dealership to get my oil changed for free, but it wasn't put it this way. Free was paying way too much <laughs> for the service you received. <laughs> so you might get a 20 year, 200,000 mile warranty, but you better have every I, you know, dotted every T crossed. And every time they say you need a cabin air filter, you better have them replace it twice during the same visit. You know, it's, uh, can I, can I dot my T's and cross the I's? Or only if, you're, only if you're dotting your T's with a little heart. Well, okay, I can do that. Or, or a little circle with a little smiley face in it. I do the, I, I would do the heart if I had a, uh, anything with an N badge on it. Hyundai right now is making me smile. I I, uh, I almost drove through the Hyundai dealership, uh, one of the cities I was in today, because they had an N Velocitor. It's a bad ride, man. It's a bad. It's a bad I, I, ride. I was afraid if I would stop, <laughs> Brandy would find out my car buying um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. issues you because I probably would have. You know, if the numbers would have worked, I could have probably come home with that, and yeah, she would have killed me because she never got to drive the Mini yet. <laughs> You, you don't know it, John, but she actually has a tracking device on your phone, and she would have known you stopped at a dealer, and um, you would have been in trouble when you got home, whether hey, you bought it or not. So, what, wait, 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 wait. What's the date today? It's the nineteenth. I've made it this far this year. Have yet to buy a car this year. 
We have a car sitting outside right now that we've had for three years. Had for what? Three years. Three years. Three years. Well, see, you got to this point that I got with my cars. I started to keep cars two years, but I had two cars, so I was still buying a car a year. Right. (laughs) And actually, I think I really got to the point of keeping them 18 or 19 months, so... (laughs) We had the Challenger for two years, but the Alpha, I mean, we love the Alpha. It's just, it's an 80,000 mile Italian car. It's fix still. It fix it again, Tony. I, it's, <laughs> it really hasn't been bad. It really, I mean, we've had some electronic stuff, but nothing. I feel like I should Who be. Was I, like, ta- oh, I was at, nothing I was detrimental. Talk- I was talking to a couple of guys, I think it was yesterday, and we, Perfect. Everybody agreed. Mechanical on the car, the, the actual pistons going up and down, crankshafts going round and round, valves going up and down. That stuff doesn't break in cars anymore. Um, yeah. I had a conversation with um, Ed, who was a guest on the podcast a few weeks ago. Well, eh, probably about four months ago or so. He had a buddy that had a Toyota with like 180,000 miles on it. And he said something. To, I guess he they were hanging out at his shop, and Ed said, uh, "So you know, somehow they got on the subject of oil changes." And Ed said to his buddy, "When's the last time you had your oil changed?" I don't know, twenty thousand miles or so. Oh, we got to do it. So Ed ran up to the parts store, and they changed his oil that night. And Ed said, "Now." At 185,000 miles, come over. We'll have a beer. We'll change your oil. It's Ed's private shop in his backyard. And he didn't see the guy for a couple of months, and he came over for another party, and he drove his Toyota over, and he's, oh, how many miles you got on that thing? 206. Change the oil? No. So they went through the whole rigmarole again. Rigmarole, is that a weird term? Is it changing? Is the oil changing itself now? Well, no. Well, no. What Ed ended up doing is he—they changed the oil. He sent a sample of that oil off to have it tested, and it came back, and they said perfectly fine. You can continue to use it. Been in the car twenty-six thousand miles, and there wasn't enough metal or anything to show deterioration. So mechanicals on the car—that's the long way of me saying mechanicals on the car—we've got solved. If we put, you know a Holly four barrel carburetor on these things and got rid of all the electronic BS. Yeah. We might suffocate, you know, air pollution and that, but they never break. And we put all these electronics on it. That's the stuff that breaks. That's the stuff that terrifies me. That's the stuff, you know, well, and it, 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 even that it speaks to, we've got, you know, we've got the, the rotating, uh, rotating assembly figured out and all the, you know, tolerances and everything working just right in the mechanical components, but also to what you just said, we also have the lubricants figured out, the additives packages, the all of the correct things for the lubricants to make sure that the way that's put together is properly lubricated. And, you know, I mean, that's, they've done studies on that. that I mean, when you're, you know, even when you're low, like a quart of oil and you add a little, it essentially rejuvenates the entire additive package in in the entire oil in the oil in in your engine, right. <laughs> not just that one quart. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm agreeing, John. I mean, it's we've got a lot of things figured out, and it's not that that's breaking. Yeah, my grandfather had a two three Ranger 
like I think it was an early '90s two three Ranger, and it burnt oil to the point where it was just changing its own oil. You you, you had to put a quart in it about every week and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I, it was I, I, it was just a constant refresh. Just, but just it literally bad boy. it got the valve stem seals got bad enough to where there was enough oil getting through and burnt that it was forcing you to put a new cord in, but it never got worse. The thing it started doing that at like 200,000 miles and he had it. It's like a 420,000 mile Ranger. And so it, the wouldn't whole, die. The whole, it wouldn't die. The hole only can get so big that it's leaking through. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've had a, is that a, is that a I, challenge? <laughs> I mean, I've had them that you put a quart of oil in it. Same time you put gas in it. Every every fill up, you just yeah. knew you needed to put a quart yeah. of oil in it. Yeah. And if you happen to overfill it a little bit, you know, maybe I didn't drive it quite as hard as I did the last tank of gas. It, you know, it eventually level out. So exactly. You met uh, John. You met Daryl Keel. Used to be the pastor at the church we used to go to. Um, oh yeah, the uh, Daryl had a Prius for four hundred plus thousand miles original batteries like it and it's still running it will not die like it i don't even understand how you get the original battery packs to to be in that thing for 400 plus thousand miles you know that's it's interesting because i was just having that chat with somebody uh at work yesterday and talking about that like and we, it happened to not be automotive related or, you know, car related. It was, it was actually talking about snowmobiles because uh, he'd just been out snowmobiling back home in Michigan. And, you know, he, he was talking about the fact that he's got like a 19, I think it's like a late sixties, early seventies snowmobile. And he was whooping the snot out of brand new snowmobiles in drag races and all this stuff. And, and we were talking about the fact that, Every once in a while, you just get that one machine that it's assembled the same as everything else. It's, you know, it's all the same parts. It's all the same components. All, you know, it's, it's a production vehicle. But for some reason in, in that one, everything just jives and is just right and just makes it the perfect machine. And it never dies. It, it can whoop the snot out of anything new. And I think that's true. And that, that sounds to me like what that, that Prius is. Sorry, Prius, if we're English. It's, yeah, it, it he couldn't get it to die. He, not that he tried to get it to die or anything, but it's, it was always a topic of discussion because it was like, how many miles will this thing actually go? Because I had heard nothing about the, the factory batteries being able to last that long. I'd always heard that the factory batteries and those things were not necessarily immediate throwaways, but they weren't good for 150,000 miles or anything like that either. But this one just well, right. But was that actual or was that factory recommended? You know, they still oh, no, recommend, I'm- they still recommend oil changes at like 3000 or 5,000 miles, which Please. is crazy. That's 10,000. Cr- that is minimum. crazy. And a daily driver. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, in a in a track car, yeah, do do your do what you got to do if you're ten thousand mile oil changes. That's where my what my mini is at. Um, they're, they're perfect. I mean, it's only designed to get you to uh, 
50,000 miles. I mean, you only got to change the oil five times in the thing. And then the warranty's over. So why do we care? There you go. <laughs> I mean, Mercedes is a 20,000 mile interval, 12 months or 20,000 miles, whichever comes first. But when you lease it, you it? can only, when you, when you lease it, you only put 10,000 miles a year on it. Yeah. Is it, is it BMW or I, I want to say I talked to somebody, it was either BMW or Porsche that they don't even, it, the oil light comes on. It, it's pro, the computer basically says it's time for an oil change. Well, that's what Porsche, actually, Porsche will do that. Yeah. Is our it Porsche, alpha, yeah, our I mean, alpha it, does that. Yeah. Porsche will do It that. doesn't even, it's not even like, you know, go by mileage. It's the car will let you know that Porsches just, don't even have dipsticks. You can't even check. You, you have to go into the, diagnostics on the dash to actually check your oil level. You can't well, lots, even- lots of cars are like that. I don't even think my mini's got a dipstick in it. I'm not sure. I, you know, I've only opened you're it. You're in it every day. It does. I was going to say it, it does when you're, you're driving it. You're in it every day. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. You know, I'm going on Monday to get the oil change because I bought the maintenance plan. I get all my oil changes for free and uh, it cost me, cost me a hundred dollars so that I can get five free oil changes that are hundred dollar oil changes. So what moron wouldn't do that? Me, so your own one, your free oil changes cost $20 a piece is what you're saying. Yes. At the BMW dealership, which I made the appointment yeah. that's, Ford, that's Ford. If I have a, you know, inkling, I want to get my oil changed. It was $49 every time. Didn't matter if it was my edge, my, edge, my SHO, my fusion, semi-synthetic, rotate the tires, everything, 49 bucks. So like $54 out the door. And I could just drive in and it'd get done. Never had to be there more than an hour. Leave it to BMW BMW to figure out how to charge 20 bucks for a free oil change. That's perfect. Call, call, um, uh, what do I want to say? BMW up three weeks. (laughs) We can tweak, you know, I've got the first day we have open is such and such, which was next Monday. And I could get in at 8 o'clock or 8.30. And I took 8.30. I really wanted to take 7.30, so I'd be first, and I knew I would at least get in and hopefully get out. But I like to sleep a little bit, too. So, so yeah, sleeping's overrated. So, Derek, hey, what how's is, it going, guys? What is your um, automotive milestone you were thinking of when the topic was thrown out the other day? What's you the think biggest? there's one? You think there's one? Only one. But there has to be a key one that you go, damn, this is a really, really, you know, good idea. It's like the Mercedes Gullwing behind me in the picture. You know, there's a milestone. Hey, let's put doors on a car that so when it flips upside down and catches fire, you can't get out. And so, then well, yeah, but when they put doors on it, they no longer run running the magnesium body. So well, it doesn't burn quite. It didn't, as fast. It didn't burn as fast. <laughs> and then seventy years later, we'll figure out how to fix that by putting bombs rocket, on the hinges, rock, <laughs> rocket engines that blow the doors off of it when it goes upside down. <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. Absolutely uh, perfect. Wow. Derek, you're you're working in a place full uh, of automotive milestones. Am I? Yeah. Am I? Well, yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know. Aren't that. you? Aren't you? I mean. <laughs> I think so. Last I checked. Rotary powered Corvette and done. 
Yeah, but there were only two of those. <laughs> that, that wasn't a milestone because they only built only one two. of them. No, they built two. Oh. A four-rotor and a two-rotor. Well, that, that, goes, back, that, goes, that goes to my saying. You got to try everything twice just in case you, the first one went wrong. So they obviously tried it twice, and no, it, it, it was destined to be wrong. There you go. So Sorry, Phil, if you're out there. I'm trying to think of automotive important milestones. Um, well, I mean, I think I think honestly, one of probably one of the more significant um, milestones, and this is for and you know, there's a lot of different I think classifications of milestones you know that you can look at, but for ease of um, you know repair and maintenance of your engine, uh, I would say the removable head from the engine um that that was a major milestone having a removable head on the engine rather than any type of you know uh, jug assembly um or you know monoblock uh blind head monoblock anything like that but a removable head from the engine so you could take that off actually access have full access to the valves pistons everything at one time it, and it's it's maybe not a milestone, let, let's say, in the development of the automobile or anything like that, but it, it really is a milestone in maintenance and repair of an engine uh, in the automobile. So, uh, we can't agree or disagree, but... No, I we disagree. can. I, say, I think we can disagree. I don't, I don't I mean, know if that's, that's that big of a milestone. I mean, yes, it, it, it's... It's an evolution. I mean, I'm thinking the uh, 08 Maxwell that I worked on. It had little things, you know, it had jugs, so it didn't have the removable head. You got to remove the jugs. and But to get access the valves, you know, they were brass plugs or whatever. They unscrewed, and you could mm-hmm. get to the valve train without ever taking the uh, jugs off the block or anything. If you're going that way, if you're going automotive milestone, and we got there, and I don't know why the hell we're still not there. Um, the um, going to a canister oil filter as opposed to the cartridge that was mm-hmm. forever and forever and forever. And then we went to this thing in the '60s, and we it seemed to be perfectly good until the 2000s. And now everybody's went back to the damn, you know, canister thing as opposed to just a single piece oil filter i don't well i mean in that case how about just an an oil filter in general that uh, see i think putting an oil filter early engines didn't have oil filters that's more of an innovation than a milestone yeah i think that's still evolution but then again you you know you evolve was the um was the um what do i want to say um, I forgot. <laughs> awesome. Great um, conversation. You know, automotive milestone. I would venture even, you know, run flat tires to me is kind of, you know, it's an evolution of the tire, but it's, it's really a milestone that, you know, they granted they still not the best thing, and you know your sports cars don't come with them, and everybody, you know, they're not the best. I want to say best riding tires and that, but I've I've got them on my mini, and they're sure a hell of a lot nicer 
in the model okay. that I got on that car than hang on, John, because you were six years ago. You know, you're 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 titling the show important milestones and, and we're picking apart the term milestone. And um, of course, you're you know, you're you, you, you're you. throwing out that I, I threw this out and what was I thinking about? But I just looked the text up because I was pretty sure I didn't use the word milestone. And I my text was, what if we discuss the most significant developments in automotive history, both production, aftermarket, et cetera? Yeah, this is definitely we're definitely talking more innovation. Yeah, not and, milestones. And, that's okay. that's really where I was headed. I think you named well, the t- show t- wrong. No, I, I think I just changed <laughs> the topic on you and, you know, I didn't like your topic. He just wanted to, he just wanted to take what you said, which was an absolutely lucid idea, Derek, and turn it into something that didn't make sense. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. are we talking the lucid? I think the lucid's a really big milestone. I think it's probably going to be replace the, <laughs> replace the Tesla is I don't, the it car for Hollywood. I don't think it is. I really, I Tesla has too much momentum. No, everybody's got a Tesla. I want to be different. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an actor. I'm on a movie. You know, I make twenty million dollars a picture. I don't want to have the same damn electric car that everybody else on the street has. You still want to plaid? Oh, well, did you see they finally Prius. Um, it, maybe it's not. It's an evolution. Did you see somebody actually came out with a thing that goes on the plaid so that you have a round round freaking steering wheel now? (laughs) Have you sat, have you sat in one with the, with the yoke? No, it's stupid. Yeah. It's it's, really, really obviously, you know, that's like trying to drive an 82, uh, Knight Rider replica. It's the same damn steering wheel. (laughs) It's as soon as you, I just happen to have a steering wheel right here. As soon as you do, like you, you turn the wheel to the point where you need to do this. It it's, it's just stupid. Um, well, you can't do hand over hand turns. Yeah. In a daily driver that is not an 11 to one, you know, it doesn't have an 11 to one rack in it. It's just, you have to cross over way too often. And it's just, it doesn't make sense in a, in a street car. But why? You just put your hands on the steering wheel, let them rest, and the car does everything for you. Yeah, that's sure. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to go with no. There, there's, there's, I would even put it as a milestone is as we're getting more and more advanced with um, um, self-driving cars i mean volvo is supposed to have a they just announced in the last week or so that they're going to have a um is it level four which is full autonomous driving car on the market within the next three to five years that is a monster who said that volvo 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 oh volvo yeah and that is that is absolutely a milestone that that marks i think that will be a change change to cars a Beyond. fundamental change in my, in mindset when it comes to how the masses look at a vehicle. Um, and I still, a lot of people, I, a lot of people ask me, I, and I don't know why, but a lot of people have asked me over the years, if you could get in a car and like after you've been at Daytona racing for three, four days, if you could get in a car leaving the speedway, recline the seat back 
turn it on full autonomous and let it drive you back to Birmingham, Alabama, would you? And without hesitation, yes, for me. I, I just, but I don't see any reason that it can't be the best of both worlds when it comes to an autonomous vehicle, a fully autonomous vehicle like that. I don't understand why it has to be all hands on or all let the vehicle do whatever it's doing. And people talk about it like it's an absolute one way or the other. And I, I just, I don't get that. And coming from a high performance driving perspective, I, I love driving cars fast. I love it. I, I love the feedback that I get, but I also know that I'm 51 years old. And at the end of a track weekend, I'm tired. <laughs> I can sit there and let the car go for 12 hours and I'm just game on. Throw my CPAP in there, plug it up. I'm good to go. That's a milestone. And even the dog agrees. I heard that. Yeah, I don't know about that. No. Actually, that I was the dog was just shaking. Shaking her head no. Exactly. I think I think I think the dog agrees. So Dana's over here getting all technical on us, trying to post links to things, you know, that are trying to show that we're we're not talking about an original topic. Thanks, Dana. Um, <laughs> okay. I had to I had to look at it though, because I saw the in the link that says the um first mass-produced automatic transmission, which Kind of got me thinking, you know, I wanted to see what they, and they're literally talking about the, you know, fluid driven automatic transmission, Um, you know, because I think it's, you know, kind of interesting when you talk about transmissions, because we really had what an automatic transmission is prior to the automatic transmission of course they were just called planetary transmissions and you had to shift them by foot with pedals um but you know they they were doing essentially the same thing that automatic transmissions do uh so i had to look that up well uh, hey guys how's it going i'm sorry i was trying to look at something uh with one of these links, Dana. John, said, you're supposed we, to look at that after the show. Well, we um, have to discount the one with AutoWise because they had something about, um, oh, finally it adjusted uh, or caught up, but they um, had something about resto mods on their homepage. So, ooh, you know, Jason, I don't know. 2013 first combustible car, the Tesla. Uh, are we talking about when it's just sitting parked somewhere? No, or? no. The the Italians uh, kind of got that down in the early part have, of the millennium. Have, <laughs> yeah. Have you, have well, you never has, been at a racetrack and just seen a Ferrari just catch on fire? Just, yeah. And I mean, and have then you we ever have talked about a, what about the after they're, you know, like, you know, impacted i mean we got to go back to the pinto and uh no, you know. no see that that's an outside factor coming in a ferrari just sits there and but wait, wait let me let me change that because we can't say ferrari they'll sue us um but i already said italian it. cars are certain brightly colored italian cars um will just sit there and poof you know, while you're having coffee at Starbucks or whatever hoity-toity place. They're really to. good at it, too. And, <laughs> when, and when they do it, they're gone. Like, mm-hmm. 
they're as good at that as as uh, AMF era Harley Davidson are are at just sitting there leaking oil. So, but we just thing. determined that leaking oil is a good thing. And somebody mm-hmm. did comment earlier, and I'm sure it's a friend of Derek's that you really can't knock total loss. Oil yeah, that's Matt. Yeah. I I agree with him. Total loss oil system, great systems, great systems. Nope. Not even spontaneously combustible. You just stand there and watch certain Italian cars and they just go poof. <laughs> and that was happening back with um, the 360, I think. And when, when they started to come up with these adhesives to glue uh, aluminum to bond aluminum to carbon fiber. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I can't. I'm sorry. We can't give that innovation to Elon as much as he might want it. We can't. No, we can't. I don't think he wants that one. He's got enough things that blow up on a regular basis. Uh, well, well, maybe we should. Let's get Elon to tweet it about it. You know, the guys Ooh, on No Driving go. Gloves said, and, and Elon can go with that. Just be sure there to hashtag No Driving Gloves in that, Elon. Yes. Hashtag, at symbol, all that good stuff. There's Make no sure such thing bad. as bad publicity. Exactly. Fire, fire away, Elon. Oh, too soon. Too soon. Fire away. Oh, never, never too soon. Ah. And remember, so there you go. I mean, John, you flamethrowers. So that that's true. That's true. <laughs> You're just talking about, you know, like, um, you know, bonding adhesives for, uh, you know, not only panel bonding, but chassis bonding, um, all of that that's done. But thinking about that makes me think about, you know, like the what about the first, you know, unitized bodies? that were coming out back in the, you know, thirties, twenties, thirties era of, you know, unitized, actually unitized automobiles. I mean, that, that's a pretty huge innovation. I mean, it didn't last long because it was very complex and very difficult to do and expensive. Um, but eventually that that whole idea of a unitized system, it eventually comes in, but, You know, there there had to be that groundbreaking done in the 30s. I didn't realize that, that that a unibody construction went all the way back to the 30s. I had no idea. I, I thought mm-hmm. that was much more modern than that. Well, I want to say it was once the airflow one of the earliest ones. The airflow is is one of the earliest, yeah. And then there's some, you know, um, there. Bud the the Bud Corporation built some of the first all steel bodies in actually. I think the first one was like 1912 wasn't unitized, you know, with the chassis, um, but it was an all steel kind of somewhat unit construction body. Um, that was very interesting, uh, as well. I'm all in. I've, I've learned a thing. No, I was going to say, I can kind of agree with you on that one, Derek, because why I said airflow is I remember the seeing publicity in that, not that I was there in the 30s, but you see the advertising oh, yes. articles. Articles. I mean, I am. I mean, I am old, but I don't think I'm the no, oldest on right. the show for a change. I mean, the cool thing about their advertising was, I mean, they literally one of the videos they put out was one of their test drivers in the car, literally rolling the thing down a giant dirt hill, uh, probably somewhere on the proving grounds. And the thing landing on, you know, rolling and and flipping up on its tires and basically the guy getting out and walking away. And the car still looked like it did essentially at the top of the hill, just with a bunch of dents in it. Uh, Whereas had you done that with, 
you roll a ball down a hill. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, really, had you done that with any other car of the period, the body would have probably ripped off the chassis and, you know, had severe collapsing. I say you put an eye out with a splintered wood. And then Volvo took it several steps further and said, here, park your oil tanker on top of our wagon. Well, if we're we're going um, milestone innovation, you know, we talked about Volvo earlier with potentially full autonomous driving cars. Um, You got to give it to them on the three-point seatbelt, too. Mm -hmm. Volvo's done some amazing stuff. Yes. Without a doubt. Boxy but good. I have a it's it's vehicular it's a vehicular milestone it's it's racing related but I mean the the oh, yeah well back. your total loss oil systems did that to me so um, <laughs> my idea of a total loss oil system is when I've over revved it and there's a hole in the side of the yes. block about that big um, yeah it's the the day that someone finally decided that sitting with their legs over top of the differential and the motor right in front of them. Oh yeah. And a, and a top and a, and a rail. Yeah. Um, the day that someone went and moved the seat in front of that motor, that's gotta be a milestone that, that led to so many more innovations that, wait, and I think wait, it was, wait, I think it was, the, was like, it Don Garlitz that did that? Did wait, Don you Garlitz? mean like uh, having like a, a mid engine or a rear engine platform? Um, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. I didn't mean that, but mm. I didn't mean that. What I, what I meant was someone literally not having their uh, their special parts draped over a, a rear what, end pumpkin. For, what can go wrong? What, what could possibly happen? No, like, it's how the human beings need to go fast. <laughs> truly just pushes all sensibility right out of the way. It's just, we must go fast. Therefore safety does not matter in any way, shape or form. I mean, when I I would love to know when that evolved in the human brain, like were there, I want to know where they're like, you know, early cavemen, like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like jump off this cliff just to see how fast I can go. Like I need to know. There were two cave people. There was one saber tooth tiger. And the first race began at that moment. As soon as that tiger turned around and saw the 2K people, Mm -hmm. race number one began, and we've been going fast ever since. Uh, Crazy. You're you're talking about, you know, drag racing and, you know, sitting on top of the the grenade with, you know, like you say, the the family jewels very much intact. Completely insane. I mean, look at the number of... um, race cars and that the all wheel drive stuff that ran the drive shaft right next to the driver or mm-hmm. right under the driver. I'm still bonkers. I mean, I can think the Lotus 12 that you sat on top of the drive shaft. And I mean, and I almost would rather have the pumpkin there and have it, you know, maybe explode or come apart because it's not, it potentially could come out the side or the bottom. It's not necessarily going to blow up out of the top. But when the drive shaft comes apart, <laughs> start flopping around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to beat the hell out of you until you're dead. And then it's just. 
uh, yeah, we just had a very long conversation about scatter shields on all race cars that are at the shop right now. It's like, oh yeah, I mean, we're the 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 stock car when it actually hits the racetrack is going to be eight hundred plus horsepower and probably a nine thousand RPM SP two. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's it, pr- protect the jewels, man. Protect your feet. Protect your legs. Protect everything. I just don't understand scatter shields i know what they do in that but and i guess they do prevent some injuries but prevent a lot of i mean when when, uh when a flywheel comes out of that bell housing or a clutch comes out of that bell housing it's not going to be the friendliest thing in the world i know it's it's not but i mean a a really good scatter shield really does a really good scatter shield will take a a flywheel from a 4,000 pound pro mod and redirect it to keep it from coming inside the car. Mm-hmm. And I know there, I know a few guys it's, that have, you know, I mean, that scatter shield has gone, taken it from, I lost my leg to, I got some pretty bad cuts and bruises right. and, and, you know, then I didn't just get my leg chopped off. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think I think they're important. Hey, Jason popped up in there, uh, paddle shift and dual clutch transmissions. Yeah. Well, I I go back to uh, the Armstrong Sidleys and that from the fifties and that, or even um, core pre selectors. The pre selectors, though, to me, those are just dual clutches without the computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's something. Uh, I guess it goes back to our old conversations or the statement I make. Nothing in a car today that's innovative hasn't been tried in the past. I mean, even self-driving cars have been tried in the past. I don't think they were very successful. You know, look, mom, no hands. <laughs> I think paddle shift and dual clutch, though, is definitely more. And, and synchro mesh now, Toby said. Synchro mesh. Um, I mean, and they're, actually, they're, John. There are more innovations than milestones, though. That's definitely more of an I mean, actually, interestingly enough, the first, some of the first sketches of a self-propelled vehicle, and we're going to the 14th century with Leonardo da Vinci here, um, was not only self-propelled, but self-driving. Um, the the mine cart that he drafted and was envisioning, um, again, going back to just to save the donkeys from dying. That's literally why he did this. Um, you know, it was, it was a spring wound machine. So it was kind of clock movement based, right. But it actually had cogs and pegs that you could wind each spring and set certain distances that it would actually run. And then one spring would stop and it would actually, of course, stop one of the drive wheels. The other one would go, it would turn, and then they'd start both running again and they could actually, his idea was you would program the path of the mine to go down in with the cart. Um, so Has anybody ever tried to build come on. that out of those? Yes. Drawings? Yeah. Okay. Um, Google it. There's um, a university. Ooh, and I, I want to say a university in Italy did it. Um, I have a very, I have a model of it, maybe about six by six inches. Um, you can't do all of the the programming, but you can see everything and you can wind it up and make it drive. 
Do you have to push it backwards until it starts clicking? No, it let actually it, it, let it go. It had no. It's got a wind on it, kind of like a clock. string that goes through it. it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those SSTs. Yeah. Evil can evil motorcycle sparks exactly. on the jet engine. Yes, I think the removal of steering wheel mounted spark and timing uh, levers is probably more of the innovation rather than putting them there. Well, there, yeah. What what about the steering wheel itself? Yeah, that would fall into that. Because that is extremely important. Um, right around 1901, Packard's one of the first to introduce the steering wheel to the automobile because they're both fascinated with boats. And the steering wheel actually comes from boats rather than the automobile. Um, early on, of course, it was tiller steering. Um, and the Packard brothers um, bring the idea of a boat-style steering wheel to the automobile. Only to eventually evolve into an airplane-style steering wheel, as we discussed earlier. As soon as you started going down that path, Derek, my brain, I, I had these very vivid visions of a full pack of Indy cars at the Indy 500 or NASCARs at the Daytona 500, and then the in-car shots with everybody steering with the tiller. Yes, <laughs> in a, mod- a modern Indy car or NASCAR, or like go to the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and you've got all the prototypes and everybody's steering with a pillar. I want to know when. I mean, we're going to the you know the the aircraft you know double yoke like this. When are we going to go to the single stick steering in a car? You know, just didn't Saab Saab did that? Yeah. The pro- Saab did it in a prototype. Probably they did. They had a. It was like a yoke that you twisted like this. And then you, you had a yaw on the yoke as well. And it was all like right out of the center of the dash. And it was just Okay. So that's really weird because no joke, the, the, the first 13 Duragays that were built, um, the, you know, considered the first mass produced car in America, 1896, if I recall correctly, I've got the year right there. Um, the, the only surviving ones at Henry Ford museum. So I've, I've actually had the opportunity to, go over the car and understand it and look at it. And, and no joke, the tiller steering on that actually has that kind of control system. It actually has where you turn the hand, you can actually turn the handle and then you actually, the gearing is actually through a almost telescoping system in the, the tiller. It's, it's a very weird setup. We never got That's, to. I never had the car operating and driving, but I did get enough time with it to understand how some of it worked. And of course, you never know how it fully works until you have it operating. But it was what I. I mean, it was just I had to sit there and and actually look at it for quite a long time to figure out exactly how that all worked. What is so, this and why? Yeah, and there's there's another great discussion of innovation. I saw Toby put up electric starter earlier, but just the standardization of controls in an automobile, you know, how, how your essentially standard layout is going to be steering wheel, you know, um, you know, blinker, windshield wipers, um, the pedals on the floor, clutch, brake, gas, all of that is huge because in the early 1900s, you had to go to school. Your well, your chauffeur typically had to go to school to learn how to drive multiple different vehicles because they all operated differently. 
makes sense. That does make sense. Jason's bringing up drum breaks, disc breaks, power assists, and finally anti-lock breaks. And let's just go ahead and add ABS to that. And I mean, anti-lock breaks or ABS, are they not? Yeah. Oh, he's got a, oh, he's, never mind. I've read it out. And that, yeah, that's how tired I am. Um, I, all he left out is the word system. He realized that ABS. Mm, <laughs> I'm flipping you off in my mind right now. Um, but I just, from what Jason said, though, what about like modern, um, modern safety, modern vehicular safety brought on by Mercedes spending? What were they spending? Was it, they used to tout they spent, was it a million dollars a day on safety? I don't know whether they still do that or not, but they used to, like, back in the 80s or 90s, they were talking about, we spend a million dollars a day every day on safety was one of their, their ad campaigns. Um, I think modern, modern crush zones, everything that Jason just typed, even anti-lock brakes, Jason, good job on that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> he got I mean, it in no, there. You know, crumple zones, uh, yeah. you know, crush zones, whatever you want to call them, are huge. Um, and even even the way cars are engineered to break apart in you know in high impact situations, where there's actually the the stress points in the frame to actually shear in to to keep that passenger compartment safe, yeah. and to remove the the force. And and allow it to go away from the passengers is just incredible. I got I was involved in a, an accident about a week ago. I got hit sitting still. Um, estimates are somewhere between the the car that hit me was going about thirty five to forty mile an hour when it hit me, Oof. and it it it's crazy because you talk about the the crush zones. You look at the outside. It's it was the Pacifica that I got hit in. And I got hit by a Prius and the, the front end of the Prius doesn't look as bad as you'd think it would look the back end of my van. I mean, the hatch is done both in and out bumper covers done, absorbers done, impact bars done. Um, it actually swayed the whole back of the, the van. You could see the gap in between the, the right side tail lamp is opened up and the gap on the left side's closed up. The left quarter is buckled under the fuel filler. And then they got the bumper off and realized that the rear body panel, part of the unibody is actually crushed. Um, and it did its job really well, but I'm here to tell you, I'm in pain, y'all. Like it, it, we as human beings are still the, the weakest link in that equation by far. Mm. There's without a doubt. Um, but now imagine but if that was, if, if it had been a straight rail, like a straight frame 70 Torino. Yeah, 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 exactly. I would have taken more of a brunt and that Prius would have been absolutely totaled. Mm-hmm. Totaled. And how um, about just, how about just the, you know, um, you know, essentially what most people refer to as the crash pad on the dash panel, soft, let's call it, you know, soft dashes, instead of metal dashes. And I could speak to that because when I was like five or six years old, I was involved in head-on collision. And um, my, my, 
I probably should have gone through the windshield. Honestly, right. um, I was in the in the front seat middle, and we were driving on the side road, dirt road um, that runs alongside of our farm. So, you know, not wearing seat belts, completely inappropriate. Should have had seat belts on, but you're on a farm growing up back then, especially seat belts weren't used a lot. Uh, you know, um, always wear your seatbelt. Um, and the only thing that kept me from going through that windshield was my aunt who was driving, reached over at the last minute and put her arm in front of me on my waist. And I, that kept you from going through the windshield. What she did is she grabbed my waist. And what it did is I, instead of lifting off the seat, I folded at my waist and my right across here hit the metal dash. And when the ambulance got there, they thought I had broken my nose because it took them about 10 minutes to get there. And that entire 10 minutes, I was pouring blood out of my nose. For sure. My sister, who was sitting next to me, slid down in the seat and left on the metal glove box door, left the imprint of her two kneecaps. Uh, and my aunt, my aunt had pretty, pretty bad lacerations on her face from hitting the steering wheel. Um, we were hit head on by a drunk that, driver. So had that capsule that you were supposed to do exactly what your yeah, sister exactly. did. Dive down <laughs> slide, slide down under the dashboard. Well, if you're going to do that, Man. don't have a metal da- uh, metal uh, glove box door right in front of you. Did, did uh, Tucker wasn't the first padded dash, was it? No, he didn't come up with that one, did he? Came up with everything else. I mean, he was obviously trying to innovate safety. I'm trying to think. I, that's a good question, John. I don't know the answer to that I one, whether his was padded or not. not. Talk about cr- crush zones and, and them being done properly or, or going back far enough to where engineers just didn't know. I had a, I've had a couple uh, split window buses over the years. And if you've ever been in the VW bus and old air cooled, even the Vanigans, even when they went to Vanigans with the driver out in front of mm-hmm. the front axle, it's, it feels like you're on a tilt a whirl when you're driving those things. Like you drive past the corner and then, and then turn and, and then it, yeah, the, well, the vehicle turns behind you and you're, yeah. you're like, you're hovering over the curb as you're turning around. It's so weird, man. But there's, yeah, no, the crush zone is your knees. The crush zone is you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your it's, feet get to the accident before anything else does. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but, but that, how long did that design last? When it really, I mean, because Ford put it on the Econo line vans, Dodge did in the A one hundreds and that in the sixties, and you know Mitsubishi, uh, Toyota vans of the eighties, the mini vans. Also, I can carry it into the eighties. Yeah, with, I mean, with Vanigans, they carried it into the eighties. They, they carried they that. Well, there's still there's still public transportation buses that are built that way. Yeah, but those are I mean that's a, a, that's a little bit better. You know, it's a lot more lot more metal. It's bigger. <laughs> the Azuzu box trucks or whatever the chassis cabs are. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I always think of you know, but to me it's it's a truck and it's going to be a little bit stronger. But you know, the you know as cool as the uh, VW buses are. Um, yeah. They were kind of death traps. I've known a couple people or knew a couple people that have passed away in those. Um, 
Jason just brought up bias applied radial tires. I mean, Jason, do you have a, I mean, what's the problem with driving down a perfectly smooth road and still feeling like you're driving on a washboard <laughs> while you go side to side all the way down the road? What's wrong with that, man? Driving down a perfectly smooth road in a vehicle that looks like it has round things on each corner, but those are, they're actually triangles. God, that or doing a, a really good burnout with a bias ply tire, and then all of a sudden you just have like a bunch of frayed string flying out all mm-hmm. over the place. It's wonderful. So Let's does that go. mean that uh, retreads aren't up on that list either? No, they're not. <laughs> Gotta love one hundred percent or not. <laughs> it used to be the thing, man. You get some oh. repops. Go to the drag strip. Get some repops. We've only got like three and a half minutes to come up with the wow one, though. We haven't come up with the the internal combustion engine and the automobile itself. Dun, dun, dun. I would go with internal combustion engine. At the turn of the century, from the late 1800s to the early 1900s, I know, well, nobody that listens to this show is probably going to gripe, but it truly was green technology. And I think we've said that on the show before. It was cleaner than the horse-drawn vehicles, at least in the cities. Okay, I'm going to clarify that. Within the cities, it was actually a cleaner technology than allowing all the horses to be out on the streets you know, they all have to go to the bathroom. They go wherever they want. They're animals. When they typically, when they died, they just unhook them, flop them to the side, get a new horse and keep moving. I mean, there are, go look it up. There are pictures of kids playing in the late 1800s next to dead horses in the street. Not clean at all. Um, we've come a long way since then, but it was a huge because you have to remember also at this time we are playing with electric steam and gas internal combustion engines um, all at the same time fighting for what's going to be best and a lot of things came together for internal combustion to take over but it was a huge factor i would say yeah i'll say that got me thinking and i just googled it and i doubt if i can get the uh flip side of it there's 284 million vehicles that operate on roads throughout the united states as of 2021 that's a hell of a lot of horses Mm -hmm. does it have to be i mean could it be something that enables the cars to do what we do with them because another milestone would be our interstate highway system or any interstate highway system anywhere oh, yeah. in the world. Completely. I mean, that, that's, that's a huge, huge deal. Roads, roads in general yeah. are a major, major mile. And that, that goes to what John posted on Facebook a little, you know, I don't know how earlier today when we were talking about the fact that we're going to talk about this topic, um, but infrastructure, just the infrastructure and the change that we're going to see um, to electric charging stations and John, I, I you know I read that I didn't comment on the post, but you know uh, 
I think, you know, you mentioned that the corner gas station was, you know, the, the, you know, quick stop, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, this was going to be the end of it. I think a little bit the end of it, but I think really what you're going to see is more of the, you know, the corner gas station turning into the something that more resembles uh, the, um, I call it turnpike or, or toll road uh, rest areas, you know, the, the actual rest stops where you're going to pull in, you're going to park, you're going to charge, you're going to go in the building, you're going to grab a, a drink or something, to, a bite to eat. There's going to be a restroom. You're going to sit down while your car charges for 15 minutes and then you're going to go out and get in and take off again. A mandatory uh, Bucky's every 50 miles of interstate. Yeah. You got a, a mandatory Bucky's or sheets. You're I think you're, theories kind of there but it's i don't see gas stations on interstates in that uh changing much you know they'll go from gas pumps to chargers and you're kind of right there but you know if i drive down okay i, I drive out of my neighborhood there's a gas station there's a you can come to an intersection there's three gas stations one on each corner that stuff's going to go away you'll have one convenience store maybe two convenience stores but, but wait, wait, wait. Why is it going to go away? People, because the idea of electric and the, is a convenience thing. People are going to charge at home. And it, the reason we have gas stations is you've got to put these, you know, 1,000, 10,000 um, gallon tanks in the ground to hold gas. Why can't your local grocery store put in 10 tar charging stations? And then when you go to the grocery store, you just plug in at the grocery store. And then when you, you know, you go to the post office, you plug in at the post office, you won't have to go to a destination to get electricity. The electricity will be everywhere you are. You'll go to McDonald's and instead of going through the drive through, you go through, you park and it's going to get to a point and some manufacturers are playing with it with wireless charging for your car. So even if you're at the drive through at McDonald's, that whole lane could be a wireless charger and you pull in and the whole time you're there, you're charging. You know, you could even do it at intersections where, you know, the first six places, say, for cars are in ground chargers. And you just kind of while you're sitting there in a red light, you're charging. Um, I just I just picture human beings yeah. being induction cooked like the whole <laughs> like where there's well, a charging lane on the interstate. And there's there's a million and a half cars in the charging lane on the interstate, and every human being that's in those cars is getting slowly roasted. But that you yes, know, that yes, picture, yes, that picture smell that smells like smells like chicken. Right. That picture I put up of exactly. the shell station that looked like a Sonic, where you're going to charge. You know, you go to Sonic. You know, you'll go ahead and order, and you'll plug in while you're there. You know, it's the the uh, to me that the. the Yes, Shell's doing what they can, and I think Exxon or Chevron or something's showing, you know, it seems to be big this week, these gas stations showing how we're going to move to electric cars, and we're going to start putting charging stations in. There, it's They need to start looking at what is going to be our business model, mm -hmm. because that destination to get fuel isn't going to be needed or exist. No, I think and, I actually that's that's a valid point. I honestly hadn't thought about John, um, but you're right. I should have thought about it because even at the Corvette Museum, we have 
uh, I believe it's either I, I should have looked before I left work tonight. It, it four to six. It's charging, uh, charging America, um, but it's either four or six parking spots that you pull in, and there's you know there's an awning over them. There's charging units right there. You swipe your card, you plug in, you come in the museum. You either go to the our restaurant, or you go walk around our store, or you go walk the museum for twenty minutes, a half hour. You go back out, your car's charged, you head off. You're not stopping at a gas station. You're stopping at a destination or somewhere you were already planning to go, unlike how we have to do gas stations. So you have, a, I think, a very valid point. You know, I, like I said, I can see them being on the interstate or, you know, like you're on a toll road and you have that gas station every 80 miles or something. I can see there being charging stations there. Um, but like I said, in a city, gas stations are dead. You know, sell, sell your gas station stock and get, you know, start buying these charger station stocks and our financial tip of the show. But, you know, it's just that, you know, I guess. Um, what did it used to be, Derek? A uh, hundred years ago, 115 years ago, you pull into a convenience store and you buy a jar of gasoline or whatever. Hardware store, and, typically. And now you. Um, you know, and that eventually evolved into gas pumps and gas stations. And I think we're going to see it, you know, they're going to go, gas stations are going to kind of go, uh, go away. There'll be a refreshment stop. Um, but you know, it's, there might be one of our biggest changes upcoming. I mean, electric cars are going to, you know, I think electric's the way everything's going to go right now. That seems to be what everybody's legislating in not to get political and you know, it's going to, I think the convenience is going to outweigh a hydrogen might be a better alternative, but it's one reason so many celebrities own electric cars because they don't have to go to gas stations anymore. They don't have to deal with the public there. They charge in their garage. They go to their studio. They plug in at the studio. They go home. Um, I know for, for a fact um, Penn Jillette, the comedian, he drives a Nissan Leaf. I mean, he used to have a Mini, but as soon as the Leaf came out and he found out he could fit in it, I mean, he's a big guy. Mm -hmm. um, he has a charger at, um, I can't remember where they perform in Vegas, wherever their stage is, and he has one at his house. And that's the only places he goes. If he goes anywhere else, he's in a chauffeured car and he doesn't care. But for him to commute back and forth to work, you know, it's an electric car because he doesn't have to stop anywhere. Oh, and I did do the numbers. Um, there are over a billion cars in the world right now and 58,372,106 horses. At what date? I don't know. But um, so I think if we had all those horses, like you said, Derek, dying every day, pooping and eating and yeah. I think you, you think you just made the case that the gasoline car is actually green technology, even to this day. The largest source it's way of, cleaner of, today than it was back then. <laughs> the beef industry well, is it the beef industry provides the largest source of methane greenhouse mm -hmm. gas pollution in the world. Now yes. imagine we went from fifty eight million horses to a billion horses. On top of all those cows, you're going to have to be a billion two, a billion five, because their cars last a few years. You know, 
horses are gonna. Yeah, horses. Horses are good for twenty. Twenty. Um, I think the next. Yeah, the, the, now wait. Now wait. If if they're just horses, now figure they're gonna have to be a a working horse where they're pulling the carriage, which with a family of four in it you're cutting down the life cycle of that horse because, or at least the usable life of the horse, maybe not the life span of the horse, but that horse is not going to be pulling that carriage its entire life. Yeah. All right. When, when I come to power, my, my campaign promise will be a Clydesdale in every garage. How's that? Ooh, I like that. As long as I get the beer wagon with it. I was just thinking what Derek said is you're right. They're going to pull that family of four. They're going to go to Costco. They're going to load up on everything at a Costco. Just, you know, it's. Hence my problem solving skills with the Clydesdales. But that, the Clydesdale that, just the, would just pull those, Costco home for you. Those are kind of shaggy horses. Now we got to deal with groomers. And what do we do yeah. with all the horse hair? And we guess and. we <laughs> It, I mean, you take the horse car, there, and then you make the insulation to go in the headliner of all the German cars that are getting ready to be made. There you go. Yeah. And I mean, think of it this way: you know, your your no offense, your your car doesn't judge you. The horse would probably look back and and give you a judgmental look if you were loading down the carriage with a bunch of stuff from Sam's Club. Are you sure your car doesn't judge you? I'm pretty sure I have cars judge me on a regular basis. Yeah. Haven't sure. you ever went to a dealer, Derek, and thought about trading a car, and then you leave and you notice your car acts up for the next couple of days? Well, true. No, actually, it, it actually normally, after I do that, it behaves really, really well. Uh, <laughs> it's see, like, well, oh, he was I at a dealership. Start, I'm good. I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy. <laughs> I usually start acting up, and that's why I get rid of them. You know, maybe they should. <laughs> maybe my car should talk to your cars and. It's like when we were younger, like, I don't know if you guys, when we were kids, of course, growing up, at least in my case, growing up with a dad that worked on cars and learning, you know, I'd be driving home from school and I'd be like, what, what's that noise? You know, eh, something's not right. And you'd get home and, and then, you know, dad would get home from work and you'd be like, hey, you know, the, the, my car was making a weird noise. Okay, let's take it out for a drive. And it ran perfect. No noise. I mean, if you could have been driving home and the thing could have been going thunka, 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 and the number three could have been ready to come out the, the side of the block. But when dad got in it, it ran perfect. It was scared. It was scared of your father. Exactly. Was scared of your father. Well, it's yeah. always amazed me how, how much mechanical, how many mechanical issues you can hear on the final lap of a race that you're winning. <laughs> It's just like you hear every single creak and groan and pop, and it's not going to make it. I know it's not going to make it. It's just not. It's not going to bring it home. It's yeah, heightened well, sense of awareness in that situation. Mm -hmm. oh, we we've run over, haven't we? Oh, we we're way, over. way run over. But we've talked horses. We've talked electric cars. We've talked rocket bombs. We've talked. I don't know. We've talked about everything tonight. So join us next week, same time, same place for another episode of. I don't know. I started watching. No, um, old Dogville stuff. You know, it's in the corner. Burn, uh, Burns and Allen and uh, Jack Benny last night and whatever. However, those shows ended. That's how I just felt. Is you know, join us next time as our old radio program. But I'm out of here, guys. You take it easy. Um, 
listeners, nodrivinggloves.com. Buy us a coffee there. Listen to a lot of the old back episodes. Um, check us out on YouTube. Like, follow, subscribe, whatever that all that BS is. And uh, uh, Facebook's the best place to get you know updates on the show and occasionally a uh, witty little comment. But witty. that's it for me tonight. Later. Night.